Hello. I'm back, I guess. Uh, I recorded an episode of the podcast because I'm tired of explaining to people on Twitter what this rebuild is all about and the fact that when the infrastructure of the organization is so far behind the rest of the league, it's it's a process that's going to take some time because it has to happen from the ground up. And so instead of responding to these people trying to present an argument in 280 characters, I'm just going to send them the link to this podcast and maybe they'll listen. So if if uh, if you're here because of that, uh, I hope I can uh, help talk you off the ledge a little bit and maybe give you some hope. Um, naturally, just because it's the way I am, I'm worried that I didn't quite get my point across, but uh, I wanted to record something and so I did. Um, it's unedited, aside from the part when my mic decided to turn off for some reason, but I think I made it a pretty pretty smooth transition, um, but uh, I uh, I hope you enjoy it. You've heard Rex Barney give that fan a contract. Now it's time to give that fan a podcast. Dive into some Orioles baseball talk with your host Ryan Blake. Gas them up, baby. Welcome back to Give That Fan a Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Blake, and uh, it's been a while. It has been quite some time uh, since I've been behind the mic. I've done a few episodes of Birdland tonight, but overall, I've been pretty dark. Um, That's a a combination of things. Uh, Mental health hasn't been great, but, you know, you you just, you you deal with it, I guess. I don't know. Um, But uh, I've been been following along with the team, and uh, if you've been waiting for an episode, I apologize. I hit a little bit of a wall with uh, getting guests to come on the show. Uh, I had one that I was really excited about that that fell through, uh, and I don't really know why. But, um, you know, that kind of discouraged me a little bit. And it's it's weird because, you know, I'm a perfectionist, and I don't want to put out content that I don't think is going to be great. And, uh, oh, Michael Franco just singled, and the Orioles now uh, only trail by one. Anyway, um, I've, I've been a big advocate uh, for, for, you know, podcasters and writers who might not have uh, a, a decent-sized audience yet or who are just kind of getting started. And, and one of the things I like to push them to do is to continue putting out content, whether or not you think people care. Um, keep doing it and eventually people will start to take notice. And, uh, I wish I could take my own advice because I'm, I'm too much of a perfectionist and, you know, I don't want to put out content unless I think it's going to be perfect. I think I just said that. I don't know. ADHD. Um, but I'm going to try to do this in one take. Uh, I have a lot I want to say. I literally created a PowerPoint presentation so that I don't skip around. Um, I didn't quite finish that, that PowerPoint, but, um, I have a lot of things I want to say. Uh, there's been a lot of discourse on on social media recently about whether or not Orioles general manager Mike Elias is doing a good job, and a big part of that is uh, is due to the difficulties at the major league level. Um, you know, 
as as I record, the Orioles are in the seventh inning of their game with the Indians. We have Stevie Wilkerson dropping pop-ups. We have DJ Stewart literally falling down as he tries to catch a fly ball in left field. Pedro Severino failing to catch anything that's even remotely uh, in his vicinity behind the plate, which isn't what you want from someone whose job description is uh, catch the ball. Uh, but I digress. Uh, Michael I- or, uh, not Michael Elias, Brandon Hyde got ejected. Uh, so tally, tally one up for him. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the podcast. There's a lot I want to say. Uh, I'm going to speak with passion. I'm firm in my beliefs. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to give you guys a bunch of, of things that aren't necessarily opinion, but fact. Um, and I, of course, there will be some opinion in there, but uh, and, and I might cherry pick some stats here and there to highlight the, the strengths of certain players. But um, but nonetheless, uh, nothing I, I say is meant to uh, disrespect or belittle anyone who feels differently. Uh, but spoiler alert with that being said, I personally just don't understand how you can look at Elias's body of work thus far and be disappointed. Uh, but, uh, I promised a rant, so we're, we're going to go on a rant and I'm probably a little rusty, but I've got the mic rolling. I don't plan on hitting the stop button. So let's party. Um, if you're on, if you're on board with the rebuild to this point, then hopefully this will hype you up a little bit. And if you're not a believer yet, then maybe I can help. Um, you know, I, I, I love the Orioles with a passion. I want nothing more than for them to succeed. And I get it, man. This sucks. It sucks watching a major league team that you love struggle as badly as the Orioles are. You know, they lost 14 in a row to end the month of May. They have the second worst record in baseball, I believe, behind the Diamondbacks right now, who have been just as bad with, with arguably a more talented roster over there. But nonetheless, you know, I, I, I get the impatience. You know, I, I I was born in 94. I don't remember the 1997 Orioles. The first winning team I remember was 2012 when they, they made it to the playoffs for the first time since 97. But for those 15 years before that, all I knew was bad Orioles baseball. And we've gone back to that after a little taste of success uh, in, in the past decade. But, you know, those five years between 2012 and 2016 were great. But now we're back to struggling, and it sucks. I get it. I'm impatient too. I want nothing more than for the Orioles to be a force to be reckoned with. But in this podcast, I'm going to break down why I think it won't be too much longer before they are perennial contenders. And that's what this is all about. That's what this rebuild is about, is building sustainability. We don't want to go out and buy a a Gerardo Parra or an Alejandro de Aza to try to bolster the roster. Um... That's that's not what this is about. This is about cutting costs at the major league level, which Elias has done, in order to build something that's going to give us success in the long term. And again, I understand being impatient. I didn't want this to happen either. I hate that we are rebuilding, but I believe in the process. I believe in the people in charge. I believe in Mike Elias, and I think we're heading in the right direction. Um, so I'm going to break down some moves he's made in terms of player personnel and, and the organization as a whole, but also, uh, try to dispel some narratives that I've seen that, that quite frankly, piss me off. Um, so, so let's go ahead and get into it, I guess. Uh, I hope I'm not disturbing my new neighbors upstairs, but to be quite honest, their dog has been, uh, yap, yap, yapping this entire night. I did a mic check to make sure you couldn't hear it on the audio. I don't know if you can or not. But uh, because of that, quite frankly, I don't give a rat's butt. We keep it clean here on Give That Fan a Podcast. Uh, so let's rock and roll. Uh, the, the first piece of advice I have to you... Um, oh, before I dive in, 
Uh, Jake Mintz, the Orioles fan half of Cespedes Barbecue, published a great article, Eight Things to uh, – I don't remember the exact title, but it was Eight Things to Keep You Sane When You're Rooting for a Bad Team. Uh, I highly recommend it. I shared it on my Twitter at Orioles Fan Probs with a Z. It's on FoxSports.com. Uh, a great read. I highly recommend it. Um, so before we really get into the thick of it, just on the surface, look at the 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 records of of these teams. All right, you've got the Orioles at 22 and 42. They'll probably fall to 22 and 43 tonight unless they can come back against the Indians bullpen. Uh, Norfolk is 13 and 20. That's not great, but all the good prospects are at the lower levels. Bowie is 25 and 9. Aberdeen is 20 and 15. Delmarva is 23 and 11. All three of those lower level teams off to incredible starts. That's a combined record of 68 and 35. That's a 660 winning percentage, which I know it doesn't mean anything really. It doesn't translate, but a 660 winning percentage would be uh, best in the major leagues at this point uh, by a long shot. Um, so that's, that's what is, is going on down on the farm. And, uh, so that's a combined organizational record of 103 and 97 as it stands right now. And the last time the Orioles organization was over 500 as a whole through the course of a season was 2015 when the five teams combined to go 413 and 389. So hopefully the Orioles continue on that trend this year. Uh, but but the minor league level is is looking pretty solid. And if, if if you're struggling to watch the Orioles, if you don't like watching bad baseball, get yourself a subscription to MILB TV. It's thirty bucks. It's thirty bucks for the full season if you use code BaySox or 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 whoever. I think every team has a promo code for ten dollars off. But it's thirty bucks if you use a promo code for the whole season. You get to watch any minor league game you want as long as they have video. A lot of minor league video is not great, but you got the behind the home home plate camp for Bowie, same with Aberdeen and Delmarva. So, um, you know, I, I highly recommend doing that if you have the means. So I'm going to go through this slideshow, and, and I'm, I'm sure I'm still going to skip around a little bit, but there's there's a lot I want to say. Um, so I, I tried to organize my thoughts a little bit, uh, but the, the first uh, narrative that I want to uh, talk about, I guess, is uh, people seem to think that Mike Elias loves drafting underslot, which quite frankly isn't true. Um, and when I say underslot, I don't necessarily mean the dollar value. All right, Technically, Adley Rutschman was an underslot pick at first overall. No number one overall pick has signed for full slot value under the current... Um, I'm at a loss for, for the word, but under the current system... Um, no number one overall pick has signed for the full slot bonus. Uh, so when I say under slot, I really mean in terms of where the player is projected to go in that draft. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna go through Mike Elias's drafts uh, as as general manager of the Astros and then the Orioles. 2012, number one overall pick. They take Carlos Correa. That was his first big underslot move. He signed for $2.4 million underslot. He was the fifth-ranked prospect on MLB.com and sixth on Baseball America. Mike Elias took him first overall so that he could save a little money, get some other guys later. And uh, you know what? Got to say, Correa worked out pretty well, if you ask me. 2013, Mark Appel. He was the num uh, number one overall pick. He was ranked number one on MLB.com, number two on Baseball America. 
He signed for $1.5 million under slot, but again, no number one overall pick has signed for that full slot value. So uh, he went chalk there with Mark Appel, did it again in 2014 with Brady Aiken at the number one overall pick. He was ranked first on MLB Pipeline, first on Baseball America, did not sign, unfortunately, for the Astros. But um, again, he went with the best overall player, and that's what he got. 2015, a little bit of a different strategy, all right, because they got a compensatory pick because Brady Aiken didn't sign. They had two picks in the top five, and they went, he went slightly under slot here, but nothing to write home about, all right? At number two, he took Alex Bregman, who was ranked fourth on both of those publications, MLB and Baseball America. He signed for $1.5 million under slot, uh, and then with the five pick, they took Kyle Tucker. He was number seven on MLB.com, eight on Baseball America, and then with their uh, their 37th pick, technically still the first round, the, the compensation round, they took Daz Cameron, who was ranked sixth on MLB.com and five on Baseball America. So with three picks in the top 37, Elias landed three guys who were consensus top 10 talents in that draft. And Cameron signed for $2.3 million over slot. So that worked out pretty well for them. Although you haven't heard much from Cameron, he's now a prospect in, I believe, the Tigers organization. Um, Again, a, a season where Elias went with the guy who was best on the board. 2016, uh, they had the 17 overall pick because they were starting to find a little more success thanks to Mike Elias and the rebuild. And uh, they went with Forrest Whitley, who was number 12 on MLB.com, 18 on Baseball America. He signed for 650000 over slot value. So again, not a high pick in the draft, but he got a guy at a little bit over slot. He didn't cut costs there. 2017, J.B. Bukowskis. I think I said that right. He was ranked number 7 on MLB.com, 6 on Baseball America. They took him at number 15. He signed for overslot as well. Uh, 2018, they had the 28 overall pick. They went with Seth Beer, who was a little bit of an underslot choice, but at the back end of that first round, there's, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. You take the top guy on your board. 2019, number 1 overall pick. Michael Elias is with Baltimore, and he gets his guy in Adley Rutschman. Ranked number one on MLB.com, number one on Baseball America, signed for $315,000 under the slot value. And then 2020 was the second time that he really did go under slot, taking Heston Kierstad, who was ranked number 10 on MLB.com, 13 on Baseball America. He signed for $2.6 million under slot, and it was a weird draft last year. Not a lot of guys going to get picked. You have six picks in a five-round draft, and when, you, when you're in that situation, you want to get as much depth talent as you can. And so... You can look at Heston Kierstad and say, all right, he wasn't the best guy available. He could have taken Austin Martin. He could have taken Asa Lacey, Max Meyer, one of the pitchers, um, Zach Veen if he was going to go under slot. But Heston Kierstad was the best power hitter in the best conference in college baseball. That's nothing to shrug your shoulders at. I, I, I didn't love the pick, but I didn't hate it. There's, there's some huge upside there. And by the way, speaking of Heston Kierstad, I'm so tired of the disrespect. People love, and, and I get it, it's a joke, whatever. Kierstad got COVID, contracted myocarditis because of it, and, and hasn't been able to play yet. And, and people are already writing him off, saying he doesn't exist, calling him a bust. Give the guy a chance. Give him some time to get back in healthy. Myocarditis has been linked with almost 20% of all sudden deaths in young athletes. This is not something to mess around with, all right? You've got to give the guy time. Eduardo Rodriguez had myocarditis. He missed all of last year. He's back, and he's pitching relatively well. Give the guy an opportunity, all right? We're not going to see much from him this year. He'll start to get a heavier workload, God willing, next season. But 
give the guy a chance, man. He was drafted less than a year ago. The jury's still out. Uh, so those are Elias's drafts the last uh, eight, nine years. One, two, three, four. I don't feel like counting. Uh, as GM, Elias really has gone under slot, meaning taken someone who wasn't considered the best available at the time. He's done it twice. Carlos Correa in 2012, Heston Kierstad in 2020. One of them has worked out great. The other one is yet to be determined. So let's stop with this idea that for some reason, Elias loves drafting underslot. This isn't a trend. It's not something that he continuously does. All right. He's going to take the guy he thinks is best available. And, and I firmly believe that. Now, will he go underslot again? Perhaps. We'll see. The prep shortstop class this year is, is incredible with, with guys like Jordan Lawler and, and Marcelo Mayer, uh, Khalil Watson, Brady House. There's so many good young shortstops available in the top of that draft. Uh, we don't know if they're going to go with, with Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker, if, if either of them are available. Uh, Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville, uh, if he falls to five, could be a great value pick there. Um, who's the other guy? Uh, Harry Ford. Her- Henry Ford? Henry Ford? Harrison Ford? Ford. High school catcher. Very good. Uh, he's he's a guy I've seen mock to us as well. Um, Sal Freilich, outfielder at Boston College. Uh, you know, there's a handful of guys who, who the Orioles will consider at that five pick, but we really don't know how that's going to shape up until we, we see what happens with the top four picks ahead of us. Uh, we draft one spot behind Boston. I hope they don't land Rocker or Lighter, but it's possible. Uh, I do think that if Lighter falls to the Orioles, I think he's going to be their guy at that at that spot, but we'll see. Stop with this whole Elias loves drafting underslot until he does it consistently, and that's not something he's done thus far. Moving on, um, another narrative that I don't like. They've been tanking for decades. Not properly. I mean, I guess tank. Yeah, they've been tanking for decades. They haven't been rebuilding properly. All right. Do you understand? Can you wrap your head around how insane it is looking at guys like Shohei Otani, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., Wander Franco, the best prospect in baseball. Literally, the top guys in the game were being signed by other organizations while the Orioles sat back and watched. Philosophically, we don't participate, said Dan Duquette in the international posting process. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That that blows my mind. All the good talent is coming from there these days, and the Orioles would trade away their money for some middling single-A, double-A guy or a major leaguer who was going to get him maybe an extra half a win on the season while the other teams are having all the fun. And now the Guerrero's leading the majors in homers for our division rival Toronto. Tatis is absolutely tearing it up, become a phenom. They're making a documentary on him. He hasn't even played 200 major league games yet. Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, two of the best young outfielders in the game. These guys were international signees. And the Orioles were sitting back and watching while other teams were participating in the J2 period. Speaking of which, uh, 2021, uh, of course, the, the, the period was delayed in 2020, so there was no signing period uh, until January of 2021. Orioles signed 17 international prospects. That's new under Elias. 2019, they signed 27 international prospects. Welcome to Baltimore, Mike Elias. 2016 through 2018, they signed 27 in total, only two of which came during the J2 period two of them. We were trading away money 
and watched as the other organizations signed the highly ranked players. I'm not, we didn't completely neglect the international market, but for all intents and purposes, we did. It didn't work out for us. And now we're finally starting to turn a corner, and we won't see the guys we've signed for a few years. You know, we signed these guys at 16, 17 years old. They're not going to make an impact yet. They've got to get seasoned, and they've got to develop at the lower levels. But you've got to have that kind of talent in your pipeline. And the Orioles finally are starting to build a little bit of that. So when Elias came over uh, in, in 2018, November of 2018, the Orioles signed him. And by the way, I don't know if Brandon Hyde is the manager of the future for the Orioles. And this is a little bit of a side note. I don't know if Brandon Hyde's the guy long the guy long term. All right. But for those of you clamoring for the return of Buck Showalter, I loved Buck. He brought winning baseball back to Baltimore. But in his final season in 2018, the Orioles lost 115 games with a far more talented roster than they have right now. And that includes 100 games of Manny Machado, who is arguably the most talented player the Orioles have had since Cal Ripken Jr. And don't even get me started on the fact that the Orioles refused to even bring up the idea of a contract extension to him or his agent for the final three years of his deal and eventually were forced to trade him for depth from the Los Angeles Dodgers system. Now, I'm not going to go into whether or not the Orioles won or lost that trade. There's still some guys who need to pan out. Neil Diaz needs to stay healthy. Dean Kramer needs to figure it out. But we weren't able to get the return we wanted because we were backed into a corner where we had to trade Manny Machado. But I, I need to not I need to not go off on that tangent because I'm, I'm, I'm going to get myself PO'd, and I don't want to do that. Uh, so Elias was hired after that 115 loss season in 2018. With uh, His responsibility was, was to build from scratch. He brought Sig Meidel with him, former NASA engineer, one of the best analytical minds in the game. And, and Meidel was tasked with building an entire analytics department from scratch. There was When he came along, there was one person who worked in analytics for the Orioles. One person. Zero analysts. There are about 300 in baseball. Zero of them worked for the Orioles. So again, while every other organization was looking for ways to get better, the Orioles were not. Now we have five full-time analysts, two developers, among other employees in the department. So a, a big step in the right direction. But when the infrastructure of the organization is so far behind the rest of the league, you're not going to find a whole lot of success. And which brings me to my next point in FanFest 2019. Mike Elias, or sorry, not Mike Elias, Sigmai Dell and Kobe Perez were um, on the stage doing a Q&A with the fans. And this was just a few months after they were hired. This was in January of 2019. And uh, someone asked Sig, uh, what does the next generation of analytics look like? And how are you going to get the Orioles ahead of the curve compared to the rest of the league? And Sig was very honest in his answer. And I think I, I might have mentioned this before on a podcast, but but Sig's answer w was this. And I, I encourage you to look up, uh, it's, it's on YouTube, that full Q&A with Sig and Kobe Perez, the, the director of international scouting. Um, it, it's on YouTube. I, I would look it up and watch it if, if you have the time. Uh, but Sig's answer was, was something like this. He said, the first step is to get us to the rest of the league, and that's going to be a bit of work. That's an exact quote. That's going to be a bit of work. He also mentioned that we'll notice the Yankees aren't standing still, and as we speak, 
those 300-something analysts in baseball are working. So it's up to the Orioles to get up to speed, and they have to fill the department with creative and innovative and intelligent developers and analysts in order to create a culture. You have to build something. The Orioles had nothing. And finally, we have people in place whose job it is to find out ways to get better. How can we assist our player development staff? How can we go out and find the best talent? The Orioles didn't have anybody in place to do that as recently as 2018. Do you know how long analytics have been around? I didn't want to do this, but I'm pissing myself off. <laughs> but anyway, I'd, I'd love to ask Sig how he would answer that question today. Because uh, I, I think he would give us a, an answer that, that says that they've done a lot of work in the last two and a half years. And uh, the Orioles are finally up to speed with the rest of the league, if not uh, making moves to get even further ahead. Still on the subject of the Orioles have been rebuilding for decades, they haven't been doing it right. And another thing to note is that Peter Angelos hasn't been involved in baseball decisions for the last three years. And that was something we kind of already knew, but Dan Connolly mentioned it recently. I think it was in a tweet, but he said it point blank. Peter Angelos has not been involved in baseball decisions for three years now, which is huge. And now his sons are in charge. And I don't know much about the Angelos sons, to be completely honest, but they seem to care a little bit more than their father. And their willingness to let baseball people make baseball decisions is certainly an argument in favor of that opinion. Now, we don't know exactly how much free reign Elias has, but he can do what he wants, especially in terms of hiring staff, and getting the right people in charge is huge. So, I'm, I, I'd, I've already been, this has taken a lot longer than I expected so far, I, th I thought this was going to be a half hour podcast, but we're already at 23 minutes, and I still haven't hit pause, so I, I guess I'm doing alright with the recording, even though my girlfriend is now laying in bed in front of me, and it's it's rather distracting, but I like her company. I don't think he's paying attention to me. Anyway. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> She's not paying attention. Um, she she walked in the door, and I immediately started stumbling on my words. But it's not her fault. It's mine. No, no, you don't have to leave. <laughs> anyway. So, I, I want to take a look at, at the player personnel moves that, that Elias has made since he was hired. And there are... There are tons and tons and tons of routine minor league moves that end up being pretty much meaningless, but any transaction that I felt was worth mentioning is included. And it's important to keep in mind when I go through this that part of this rebuild is trimming salary and allocating those resources elsewhere in order to build within the organization. So there aren't going to be any big-name free agents in this list. We know that. But let's see how many of these moves are actually worth being upset about. That's the big thing. What has Elias done that you disagree with to this point? Because for me, there's quite frankly not much. The first notable move in December of 2018 was uh, he claimed Rio Ruiz. Ah, oh, I sounded like Garceau there. He claimed Rio Ruiz off waivers from the Atlanta Braves. Don't laugh at me. I know how to speak. I know how to say it. Claimed Rio Ruiz from the... <laughs> <laughs> I got this. Don't make me laugh too much. I'm trying to not not <clears throat> voice crack. We're doing great. Uh, he claimed Ru Ru 
This is all staying in. I hope you know this. It's not your fault I'm laughing. I just can't talk. <laughs> and we all know what Rio did for the Orioles. He was he was decent enough, um, designated for assignment in last month. But overall, Ruiz was a solid fill-in piece for the Orioles. He brought a little bit with the bat, a little bit with the glove, trailed off a little bit at the end. But uh, that was that was a solid move on Elias's part to to bring in someone like Ruiz just to kind of help fill a gap. And and that's what these major league moves have been is guys to fill the gap uh, while the Orioles build the farm and and get these guys ready to come up. Uh, December thirteenth, the Rule Five draft, he took Richie Martin. Um, Martin was uh, a guy I certainly had my eye on in that Rule Five draft. Talented young shortstop out of the Oakland organization. Hasn't done a whole lot for us, but there's still some promise there. He's uh, he's a Triple A, uh, not hitting very well, but getting on base a decent amount, and uh, you know, that's that was, again, a solid pickup by Elias. Nothing to really write home about, but nothing to complain about either. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Moving on. January 11th, he claimed Hanser Alberto from the New York Yankees. Uh, he would be released a month later and then brought back a week after that, but I put the date as January 11th because that's when Alberto came over the first time. And uh, oh, I missed one. January 4th designated for assignment uh Bravic Valera who was acquired in the Machado trade and uh I I already mentioned about the Orioles not approaching him about a contract extension for 3 years before his final season still mad about that but uh Valera is now 29 and a non-prospect so nothing important there Elias just got him out of the system Again some of these are minor but names I felt like mentioning March 1st 2019 the Orioles designated Donnie Hart for assignment. He was a very serviceable reliever for the Orioles in 2017 but since he was DFA'd he's pitched 7 and 2 thirds innings at the major league level addition by subtraction there. March 8th acquired Dwight Smith Jr from Toronto. He was kind of fun that year. Uh March 23rd and this is the one where if if you're going to be mad at Elias about something I guess this is the one. Uh, Orioles trade Mike Yastrzemski to the San Francisco Giants for right-handed pitcher Tyler Herb, who is no longer in the organization. Um, I, I get being frustrated about that, but you have to consider it from our perspective. Mike Yastrzemski was a 28-year-old minor league corner outfielder who was never good enough to get the call when he was here. And it's it's really that simple. I mean, congrats to the Giants for figuring it out with him, but I'm going to chalk that one up to a little bit of bad luck and perhaps a little bit of help from a juice ball. Uh, same day, March 23rd, claimed Pedro Severino from the Nationals, who has, uh, I wrote, who has been fine as a placeholder for Adley. He's really starting to sour on me, but he had a good stretch with the bat last year. I, I'm not going to complain too much about what Severino has done for us. April 24th, uh, Elias designated Mike Wright for assignment, finally ending that horrendous experiment. Um, I, uh, Mike Wright was just was a, a complete and total failure with us, and I feel bad saying that, but that's that's what he was. Uh, April 28th, he claimed Sean Armstrong off waivers from the Seattle Mariners, who was great in 2018, or I'm sorry, 2020. Uh, recently designated for assignment after a, a rough start to 2021, but uh, he was good for us last year. Next big, uh, I guess, group of transactions happened in the 2019 draft. And uh, I'm going to go through the top 13 or so picks. Uh, number one, Adley Rutschman. We know what's going on there. He's the number one prospect on MLB Pipeline for the Orioles, number two overall in baseball. At 42, he took Gunnar Henderson, who is fifth in the organization. I don't even need to tell you about Adley and Gunnar. If you're paying 
any bit of attention, you would know that both of them are absolutely tearing up their leagues this season so far. Uh, 71, Kyle Stowers. Uh, he's ranked 22 on MLB Pipeline. Uh, he's got an on-base percentage almost 400 this year at Aberdeen. Uh, 79, Zach Watson. 108, Joey Ortiz. 29 years, er, uh, ranked 29. He's not 29 years old. He's ranked 29th in the system. Uh, got promoted to Bowie after a very strong start at High A Aberdeen and has four homers in his first 13 games there. So Joey Ortiz tearing it up. And um, he was a guy, along with Kyle Bradish, that Matt Blood mentioned uh, in a podcast episode I had him on at, at a, as a guy who he thinks deserves a lot more attention. And so far, he's been proven right with both of those names. And I think I'm going to plug that a little bit later in my notes. 138, Daryl Hernandez. He's ranked 27 in the system. I like his upside a lot. Talented young shortstop. He's gotten off to a good start this season. Uh, Maverick Hanley at 168. 198, Johnny Reiser has also been promoted to Bowie after a strong start at High A Aberdeen. Uh, he's hitting 383 in 48 plate appearances so far with five extra base hits at Bowie. So a guy who's come up, uh, hit a homer off Noah Syndergaard at Aberdeen uh, on, on when Syndergaard was on rehab a couple years ago. Uh, Riser showing off some power, five extra base hits, couple home runs, uh, but he's hitting very well since his promotion to Bowie. Uh, a few more names. I don't I don't really need to waste time going through, but there's a few more names in that 2019 draft that uh, guys who are. are our depth pieces in the system, and, and hopefully will work out for us. Uh, it's important to remember when you're trying to evaluate a general manager's draft. Um, on average, less than three draftees per team per year accumulate more than 0.1 war in their entire major league careers. All right. So if three of these guys from the 2019 draft make it to the major leagues and do a little bit of anything, then that's a pretty successful draft. You have to consider the success rate there. Obviously, we expect a lot from Adley Rutschman. We're starting to expect a ton from Gunnar Henderson. But out of a few of those other guys, Stowers, Watson, Ortiz, Hernandez, Johnny Reiser, if one of them can do anything, anything at all at the major league level, then you can chalk that up to a very successful 2019 draft from Michael Elias. It would be higher than average in terms of draftees making it to the bigs and performing moderately well. Let's move on with the transactions. Uh, June 17, 2019, designated for assignment Joey Rickard, who was fun to have on the team, but not very good. Uh, June 17th, uh, I, I, this one isn't huge, but I wanted to throw it in there. He acquired Patrick Dorian from the Pirates as a player to be named later in the Jeffrey Ramirez trade. Um, and in case you haven't been paying attention, Dorian got off to a scorching hot start with Bowie. He's been one of their best hitters. Cooled off a little bit as of late, but still boasts an 891 OPS with seven home runs at Bowie this season. So he's certainly a name to keep an eye on. July 2nd, Orioles signed 27 international free agents, two of whom are already in the Orioles' top 30 prospects per MLB pipeline, despite both being just 18 years old. And those guys are outfielder Luis Gonzalez and left-handed pitcher Luis Ortiz. So again, you have to start building a talent pipeline. You have to start focusing on the international market. And, uh, you know, it's a market that the Orioles, for all intents and purposes, neglected. And now they're they're building a 14-acre, uh, multi-million dollar complex in the Dominican Republic, which is going to take this even a step further. This is the fun one. July 13th, Michael Elias officially becomes the worst GM in history, trading Andrew Kashner to the Red Sox for two international prospects, outfielder Ilio Prado and shortstop Noelberth Romero. Uh, I'm a big fan of Prado's upside. Uh, I have him, I think, at 29 in, in my Orioles' top 30 prospects. I have to go back and look at that and update it a little bit after the, the beginning of the minor league season. But Andrew Kashner had a, 
a 6.20 ERA in 53 and two-thirds innings for Boston uh, in 2019 after that trade, became a free agent after the year, and has not found a new home since. So, uh, yeah, Elias officially the worst GM in history, uh, getting two minor league prospects for a pitcher who was on his last leg. Uh, you know, you know the meme. I don't have to, I don't have to repeat it. October 1st, Orioles claim Cole Sulcer from the Tampa Bay Rays. We know he's been pretty decent for us out of the bullpen. October 30th, claim Pat Vileka from the Rockies. He's been a solid utility piece. Uh, December 2nd, 2019, traded Jonathan Villar to the Marlins for left-handed pitcher Easton Lucas. Now, I understand being frustrated about trading Jonathan Villar. He hit 24 homers for the Orioles in 2019, stole 40 bags uh, on a very short list of Oriole players who have had 20 homers and 40 steals in a season. Uh, but he was going to make close to $10 million in arbitration and was probably going to be a free agent after the 2020 season anyway. Um, he's been fine this year, filling in for the Mets at third base, but he's not going to come close to replicating the production he had here in Baltimore. Meanwhile, Easton Lucas, in 10 and a third innings this year at Aberdeen, surrendered just three earned runs while walking three and striking out 17. So Easton Lucas off to a hot start this year at Aberdeen. He was the return in the Jonathan VR deal. VR, by the way, Elias replaced with Jose Iglesias, and then replaced Jose Iglesias with Freddie Galvis, and uh, there will be a little bit more on that that I will mention later. December 4th, traded Dylan Bundy to the Angels for right-handed pitchers Isaac Matson, Kyle Bradish, Kyle Burnovich, and Zach Peek. Uh, Bundy was good last season for the Angels, but has struggled pretty badly in 2021. Zach Peek at Delmarva uh, in 18 two-thirds innings this year has an ERA under four with nine walks and 24 strikeouts. Uh, Isaac Matson has struggled, but he is the guy who was closest to the majors when, when we brought him back, and he still has a chance to be a serviceable reliever. Um, Burnovich started the season at Aberdeen in seven starts. He has an ERA under three, just 10 walks and 41 strikeouts in 29 innings pitched. Kyle Bradish started the season at Bowie in 13 and two-thirds innings there had a 0.00 ERA, pretty damn good, 0.94 FIP, just five walks, 26 strikeouts, and 13 and two-thirds innings pitched. He was promoted to Norfolk because he started the season so hot. He has a 3.44 ERA there with eight walks and 23 strikeouts and 18 and a third innings pitched. Moving on. That was weird voice sound. I'm not going to start laughing again. You are, though. January 7th, 2020, Orioles signed Jose Iglesias for $3 million. VR was going to make 10. Orioles signed Iglesias for three. Who, by the way, would give us easily the best offensive production of his career and then ended up being flipped for more prospects. So a solid move there, replacing production with production. Uh, the Orioles milked everything they could out of Jose Iglesias, and now he's back in L.A., and he's back to his normal self that he was uh, before he came to Baltimore, which is a not-great hitter who plays good defense. January 10th, Orioles signed Cesar Valdez, who had a stretch where he was kind of fun. I think the league's figured him out, but uh, kind of a low-risk thing there. He's 36. There's a reason he's never been established as a major leaguer, but he was fun for a little bit. January 17th, Orioles signed knuckleballer Mickey Yanis. Orioles fans are clamoring for him to get the call-up from Norfolk. Orioles love a knuckleballer. He went kind of viral in the spring with that uh, beautiful camera shot of him throwing that knuckleball that did not move uh, at all, really. Uh, so so Giannis has been solid in the farm system so far. February 1st, signed right-handed pitcher Wade LeBlanc. 
he was fine, I guess. February 11th, claimed Ramon Arias from the Cardinals. He's been fine, I guess. February 14th, signed left-handed pitcher Tommy Malone, who would be the Orioles' opening day starter, and then flipped for two prospects. And then everything got shut down, and the world stopped. And uh, Which brings me to my next point. This is year two of the minor leagues under Mike Elias. It's year one under new player development director Matt Blood. There have not been a lot of minor league action to this point with this new regime. And they're already off to a fantastic start, which speaks to the player development staff and the job that they have done. It's it's really incredible. Like I, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but I don't know how you can look at the production from the minor leagues and say that you don't think this is something that's going to be sustainable. And again, like I said with the draft, you don't need everybody to work out. You only need a handful of guys to really make a name for themselves. Anything else is just a bonus. 2020 draft. Second overall, Heston Kierstad. Jury's still out on him. Got myocarditis. We're hoping that he's healthy and back soon. 30, Jordan Westberg. Off to an absolutely incredible start at Delmarva, slashing 366, 484 on base percentage, and a 592 slugging percentage. Got himself the call up to Aberdeen. Uh, pick 39, Hudson Haskin. Another guy off to a great start at Delmarva. 302 batting average, 404 on base, 431 slugging. He's got 12 steals on the year. Anthony Servidio on the seven-day injured list right now. Uh, not hitting very well, but uh, walk rate at 30% gives him a 489 on base percentage. Whether or not you're hitting your weight, on base percentage is what matters. Yasmani Grandal of the, the Chicago White Sox is uh, close to dead last in the league in batting average among qualified hitters, but he is top 10 in on-base percentage because he walks. He gets on base. Anthony Servideo does that exact same thing. Uh, Kobe Mayo should be with the Gulf Coast League team starting at the end of June. He was pick 103 in the draft. 133 Carter Baumler had Tommy John surgery. I'm not too worried about him. He was a high school relief pitcher. Not relief pitcher. Right-handed pitcher. And, uh, and he should be back. Uh, hopefully healthy pretty soon. And uh, undrafted but signed after the draft was uh, J.D. Mundy, who uh, another guy who is not getting any recognition because he's not on any top 30 prospect list, but uh, he slashed 324, 461, 577 to start the year at Delmarva, got promoted to Aberdeen. He has three homers in seven games there. Perhaps a diamond in the rough that Elias found uh, at the end of that, that draft. Um, few more transactions. Again, I'm not I'm, I'm not trying to be repetitive. I'm just trying to prove a point that not many of the moves Elias has made are worth really getting upset about. Uh, but I'll, I'll go through a few more quickly. Uh, traded Richard Blyer to Miami. Got uh, 18-year-old shortstop Isaac De Leon. He'll be in the Dominican Summer League this year. August 9th, claimed Jorge Lopez from the Royals. He's a body in the rotation. Nothing to be upset about. August 30th, here's the trade deadline of last season. Uh, he trades Tommy Malone to the Atlanta Braves and gets back A.J. Graffinino and Greg Cullen. Malone, since then, has uh, 26 earned runs allowed in 25 and two-thirds innings pitched at the major league level. Not very good. Meanwhile, A.J. Graffinino has a 352 on base percentage at Aberdeen. Greg Cullen, we haven't seen much from yet. He started the season hurt. He was just recently activated from IL and promoted to Bowie, as a matter of fact. Uh, but he has a history of great on-base skills and is excuse me, and is the guy I was most excited about uh, in that Tommy Malone trade. And I just got the notification the Indians beat the Orioles 4-3. to I'm not going to put that one on Dean Kramer. He was pretty solid. His defense didn't do him any favors. August 30th again, traded Michael Givens to the Colorado Rockies to get Taron Vavra and Tyler Nevin. 
I absolutely love this deal. Gibbons, uh, with the Rockies thus far, has a 406 ERA, 649 FIP. Not great production out of the Rockies bullpen for Michael Givens. Meanwhile, Taron Vavra has an on-base percentage over 400, slugging percentage over 400 with four homers so far at Bowie this season. Tyler Nevin uh, has been smoking hot as of late. Uh, he's slashing 268, 330 with a 495 slugging percentage. He has six homers with Norfolk and doubled in his first major league at bat. Two guys who were back in the Orioles' top 30 prospects and uh, a great return for a relief pitcher there at the deadline last year. Another relief pitcher traded Miguel Castro to the New York Mets, and in return, Kevin Smith and Victor Gonzalez. Castro, since that trade, has a 3.41 ERA, 3.95 FIP with the Mets, but he had good stretches with us too, and look me in the eye and tell me that you miss Miguel Castro. You, you, you can't do it. Meanwhile, Kevin Smith, 26 innings pitched at Bowie this year, 37 strikeouts to just 10 walks, and a 1.04 ERA. He's in our top 15 prospects as well. Victor Gonzalez is an 18-year-old shortstop. He will also be on the Dominican Summer League team. More international talent, depth in the pipeline. So, so, so important. A few more transactions that I personally was a big fan of, and I'll tell you why. November 20th, DFA'd Renato Nunez, and that really pissed people off for some reason. I didn't get it. He hit 43 homers in just over 800 plate appearances for the Orioles. Decent power production absolutely nothing else. Uh, Poor on base skills, no speed, bad defense at corner infield where the O's have and had plenty of options. Uh, He struggled in Detroit over a week's worth of games, and he's not hitting well with them at AAA either. Renato Nunez, very, very easily replaceable. If you were frustrated that the Orioles designated him for assignment because you enjoyed having him on the team, and I get it, it's nice to have people on the team who are fun to have on the team, but Renato Nunez was not good. It's as simple as that. Hanser Alberto released uh, a week later on December 2nd. Two weeks later, I guess. Uh, he had a good batting average for the Orioles. That's about it. He doesn't walk. He won't steal you more than a handful of bases. He doesn't have a whole lot of power. He was first percentile in both 2019 and 2020 in both hard hit percentage and walk percentage. To put it bluntly, he's a singles hitter against lefties. And not much has changed in a utility role with the Royals this season. He's not doing a whole lot of anything. His splits, as a matter of fact, are pretty even lefties and righties. He's not quite handling lefties as well as he did when he was here with the Orioles. So the Orioles release Hanser Alberto. I'm not losing any sleep over it. December 2nd, trade Jose Iglesias to the Angels, get Garrett Stallings and Gene Pinto. Iglesias had a great season here. I mentioned earlier, he's back to his his normal self with the Angels, struggling offensively, solid defense. Uh, Meanwhile, Garrett Stallings is a top 30 prospect in the Orioles system, and Gene Pinto will be in the Dominican Summer League. So again, add more depth to the farm. It looks good, and he was able to replace Jose Iglesias with Freddie Galvis for $1.5 million, which is half of what Iglesias made, and Galvis has been very good for us. I don't remember the exact metrics, but he was something like uh, fourth or fifth among American League uh, shortstops this year in terms of offensive production, so you'll take that all day. Uh, he selected Tyler Wells and Max Roller in the Rule 5 draft in, in December of this past year. Tyler Wells has now uh, nine straight or, or nine uh, scoreless innings in a row, uh, so he's he's been solid. Stroller just activated off the injured list. Don't know what you got with him quite yet, but Tyler Wells looks like a steal so far in the Rule 5 draft. January uh, 15th, I touched on this earlier, they signed 17 international free agents. Two more later in the month, 
Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basalo are in the Orioles' top 30. We'll see them hopefully in a few years. Uh, again, stupid, stupid, stupid that we neglected that market for so many years. And I don't necessarily just mean the market, but the top players in that market. The Orioles signed some international players. They went out and got some younger guys from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and, and Puerto Rico and wherever. But when it was time to sign the big-name players, they didn't have the money for it because they just traded it away because they didn't care. And that's so stupid. Let's see. February 2nd, Orioles traded Alex Cobb to the Angels for Jemai Jones. Cobb has an ERA of almost 5 with the Angels. Uh, he's 33 years old. He's not very good. Jemai Jones is someone who Oriole fans are waiting to get the call. He's slashing 304, 400 with a 652 slugging percentage in the minors this year. He's got a couple of triples. He's got three home runs. He's the former Angels' top prospect. And when it comes down to it, that was a salary dump move, trading Alex Cobb. But it's one that benefits the Orioles, regardless of money, because Jemai Jones is the better player, especially looking at the long term. February 3rd, signed Felix Hernandez. I wish that had worked out. February 17th, signed Matt Harvey. Worth a shot as a potential trade piece, but uh, hasn't been what we what we hoped for. Uh, March 16th, signed Michael Franco. I wasn't too big on that one. Uh, still am not, but whatever. Um, again, nothing to get upset about. He's not really blocking anybody. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to see Ryland Bannon or Jemai Jones get some playing time, but they're there at Norfolk to get, you know, repetitive um, experience. And, and that's that's what it's all about when you're trying to develop these prospects is, is getting them consistent game action. And uh, Franco, I think, will be gone at some point this year. I think he'll make way for Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon or, or, or one of those other guys. Tyler Nevin maybe comes back up. Um, but again, signing Michael Franco, nothing to really be upset about. You don't have to like it, but it's not like, uh, uh, it's not worth an uproar. I don't know why I just made that noise. Anyway, March 17th, Orioles acquire Adam Plutko from the Indians. Again, worth a shot. He's been okay. He's a body. Uh, May 18th, designated for assignment, Rio Ruiz. It was a little bit overdue. He didn't bring a whole lot to the table. Fun guy to have on the team. Uh, he was claimed by the Rockies. He's in AAA over there, and, uh, he's not hitting well. Um... So, where did I want to go from here? I don't know. Oh, I haven't even talked about player development, and quite frankly, I'm not going to. Uh, but look at what's going on in the farm system. Pay attention. I mean, I, I, I've, I've said it many times, and I'm, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but I, I just can't hammer this point home enough. Look at the production from not just the top 30 prospects in the Orioles system, but from the guys beyond that. There are so many guys who have are, who have been on nobody's radar that are tearing it up this season. I mean, I already mentioned Patrick Dorian, uh, Kyle Brnovich, Easton Lucas, Zach Peak. I already brought up those names. There's a, there's a ton of bats too. J.C. Ascara hitting really well. Caden Grenier uh, off to a slow start, but he's now uh, hitting above 300. Uh, he's he's had a scorching hot May. Johnny Reiser, I talked about him. Brett Cumberland is hitting very well. Zach Jarrett, J.D. Mundy. I mean. You can't look at at the production that those guys have given you at the minor league level this year and not be excited about the player development. We've had we've had good prospects in the past, right? We've had the Dylan Bundys and the Kevin Gosmans and the Jake Arrietas and the Chris Tillmans and the Brad Bergesons and, and all those guys, the Brian Mattises. You name it, they didn't work out with us. The reason for that is because we didn't have a good player development staff. Now it looks like we do. We have Grayson Rodriguez, 
We have D.L. Hall. Kind of akin to the situation we were in with Gosman and Bundy, where we were thinking, all right, that's going to be our one and two of the future. We had those thoughts with Gosman and Bundy. We have those same thoughts with Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, but this time we have a reason to back it up with confidence. I have confidence that the Orioles aren't going to screw these guys up like they did consistently for the last 20 years. And that's why I'm so optimistic about this rebuild. The farm system has gone from being bottom five in the league to top five in a little over two years, despite one of those years not having a minor league season at all because of the pandemic. Check out my interview with Matt Blood if you want to uh, to get some thoughts on player development. I'm not going to go into that too much, but I did have Matt Blood on the podcast uh, just a couple episodes ago. Actually, it was a few months, but just just a couple episodes ago. Um, I, I'm 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 getting a little uh, little fired up, but I, this is the first time in my life that I've been hopeful for the Orioles. You know, we we had that great run from from 2012 to 2016, but there was never anything really worth getting excited about in terms of long-term success. And now there is. Now there is. And the awesome thing is, we only need like half of these guys to work out. I mentioned that before. We don't need all of these minor leaguers to continue their hot starts. But if half of them do, the Orioles are in good shape. And have you considered that maybe... Just maybe the Orioles are stockpiling young talent to maybe later flip for legit MLB guys when it comes time to compete and to buy and to start to build up some of that salary at the major league level. I mean, we're, we're in a good position. We have so many prospects who not only have high ceiling potential, but who have trade value. And that's another important thing to keep in mind. This isn't just about having good talent in the minors. When you have good talent in the minors, you don't have to trade Eduardo Rodriguez for Gerardo Parra. You don't have to make those kind of moves, those fringe moves, to maybe get you an extra win or two at the major league level, but won't get you over the hump. When you have so much young talent in your system, you can package two or three of them together for a front-line starting pitcher. And that's what this is all about. That's why I'm so excited. Because whether or not these guys work out for us at the major league level, if they keep doing well at the minor league level, and I believe they will because of the player development staff we have in place, Matt Blood, Chris Holt, pitching coach at the major leagues, all these guys. There's so much to be excited about. And this is the first time I've been able to back up my cautious optimism with confidence. And it's turned into real optimism. And again, I'll say this one more time before I sign off. I get it. This sucks. I hate losing. I love the Orioles more than anything. I want nothing more than for them to be competitive. I'm tired of being the laughing stock of baseball. What Mike Elias and Sig Dell and Matt Blood and the entire revamped Orioles front office have done is given me hope that this is not going to last too much longer, and when it turns a corner, it's going to last us quite some time. Because that's what needs to happen in a rebuild. It's not about getting you over the hump for a couple years to have some moderate success. It's about being long-term contenders. We want to be in the playoff conversation year year after 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 year. 
and hopefully in the next couple years we will be. And a lot still has to go right for this to work. I completely understand that. This could still blow up in our faces. I don't necessarily see how, but it's certainly possible. A lot still needs to go right. You need guys to stay healthy. You need their development to continue. You need them to stay out of off-the-field issues. You know? You need them to keep their confidence up. But there's legitimate reason to believe that we're doing this right for the first time in my life. And that's a really great feeling to have. And if, if I didn't say anything to convince you, if you're thinking, oh, you just sat there for half an hour and just read off transactions that haven't made a difference, fine. If you feel that way, fine. I get it. He hasn't done anything at the major league level that's been significant. I get it. But while the major leagues have suffered the talent pipeline in the minors and the systems in place to maximize that talent, that's where the investment has been. That's where the investment has been. And I read off a bunch of prospect, uh, of, of transactions that Elias has made. Anybody who I thought was even moderately notable. I mentioned Donnie Hart. There are maybe two moves that you can have a gripe with. Mike Yastrzemski, Jonathan VR. That's it. And I gave my reasons why both of those were reasonable moves. VR, yeah, had a career year with the Orioles. But was getting expensive was going to be a free agent after 2020 anyway. Yastrzemski, 28 years old, never broke through the minors, never hit exceptionally well, was a 4A kind of guy. Came up, had a great season with the juice ball in San Francisco, and now he's back to not being all that great. He's not starting anymore, I don't think. We traded for Mike Talkman. He's their regular left fielder now. Steven Duggar's hitting well for him in the outfield. I'm not even sure that, that Yastrzemski has a regular spot in that outfield. I think he and Austin Slater are kind of in a platoon role. But anyway, I'm not I'm not here to get into the Giants. Um You know what? I I, I made it through my slideshow. I I did this all in one take. I don't really know how. Um I, I I'm sure there were some pause. I I don't really I, I don't feel like editing this. I'm not going to. I really just wanted to come on here and rant. And and you'll get, you know, a minute of, of wasted time because I was laughing about Rio Ruiz with my, my lovely girlfriend who is now starting to chuckle again. I shouldn't have even brought it up. But the point of this, this podcast was to tell you that I'm excited. I'm excited about the future of Baltimore Orioles baseball. Whether or not this team finishes with the worst record in baseball once again, has another number one overall pick in 2022, we're on the right track. I can feel it. And if you can't, if you can't, then I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. If you can look me in the eye and say that our player development staff hasn't gotten significantly better since the Duquette days, if you can look me in the eye and tell me that our, our talent pipeline has not gotten significantly better since the Duquette days, if you cannot look me in the eye and tell me that our investment in the international market is hugely significant and important to success at the major league level long term, then I don't know what to tell you. If you can look me in the eye and tell me that analytics are an important part of building a major league team, I mentioned before, when Elias and Sig came over, the Orioles had one person in the analytics department, and he wasn't a developer. Or, uh, and, and I don't, I don't remember. But he, 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 it was one guy. 
I think I'm out of things to say. I hope you enjoyed my rant. I hope you have a little bit of hope for the future. I hope you're with me along for the ride. I hope to see you at Bowie tonight, I guess. This this will probably be out in the morning, but uh, we're gassing them up. It all started with a tweet. Hey, Bowie Bay Sox, are we allowed to bring gas cans into the stadium? They enacted a freaking gas can policy. So there's going to be a couple hundred, probably, Oriole fans with gas cans at Prince George Stadium tomorrow, and I'm very excited for Grayson Rodriguez's double-A debut. And I'm going to leave you with that. God bless the Orioles. God bless you all. God bless Cedric Mullins. Vote for him in the All-Star game. That's all I got. See you next time, whenever that may be. Ooh.